Well, we begin the Gospel of Luke this morning, so please turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. And we'll begin with the prologue, the first four verses this morning. Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. What can you believe? In an age of blogs, tweets, Photoshop, tabloids, do you ever ask, what's actually true here? What can I trust? And just the grocery store tabloids alone. Just like, that's clearly just not true. What, what, how, why? Maybe like me, you've used websites like Snopes.com, right? A, a fact-checking website that on its website claims to investigate, quote, folklore, urban legends, hoaxes, memes, and rumors on the internet for more than 25 years. So if you used that website this past week, you would have learned that Kevin Hart was in a car accident, but that he didn't become paralyzed from the neck down, like some people were saying on the internet. I, I don't know how you can decide what to believe when headlines strike, when, when the chain email hits your inbox, when the voicemail asks for money, when the news report seems unthinkable. How can you decide what's, what's believable? Who can you trust? I wonder if you've ever thought that about the Bible. I mean, what about Scripture? What about the reason, the whole reason, we gather here on Sunday mornings to talk about Jesus and follow him together? I mean, is Loudoun Valley Baptist Church just another example of fake news? False information? Are we as Christians being duped by myth, fable, even worse, propaganda? It's an honest question. I'm not asking it rhetorically. I mean, who are we to think we have the truth when none of us lived when Jesus lived and, and none of us ever talked face-to-face with the man we say we know and follow? Church, I'm excited today to begin studying with you a historical account of the life of Jesus Christ. So this book we're about to, Lord willing, spend months studying together is called The Gospel of Luke. And in those first four verses we just read, the author explains both how and why he's writing all this down for us to read and then to consider and finally to believe. So with our time together this morning, let's break this prologue down into three things, three points. The author of the Gospel of Luke, the character of the Gospel of Luke, and the purpose of the Gospel of Luke. Author, character, purpose. First, and briefly, the author. So the author of the Gospel of Luke was, believe it or not, a man named Luke. And Luke wrote both this Gospel and its sequel, the book of Acts, which you can find a couple, chapter, a couple books later in your New Testament. And this first point is brief, simply because we don't know much about Luke. However, what we do know is worth seeing this morning. 
See, Luke is mentioned a few other times in the Bible. So first Colossians chapter four, the apostle Paul is, is writing his letter and he's communicating at the end of it, greetings to the church to whom he's writing. And, and he says at the end, amongst all these different greetings, Luke, the beloved physician greets you. So we take it Luke was a doctor, Dr. Luke. Then in the short book of Philemon, Paul calls, again, towards the end of the letter, calls Luke one of his, quote, fellow workers. And that makes sense because in the book of Acts, written by Luke, big portions are written in the first person plural, we, us. Luke was a companion of Paul's at certain points in his ministry. And so he was one of Paul's fellow workers. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's last letter, He's writing to Timothy, and he says some of his companions have left him. You might remember that. Demas has fallen in love with the world. But then he says, Luke alone is with me. So while we don't necessarily know as much about Luke as we do most of the other authors in the New Testament, we see here that he was a beloved doctor who labored alongside Paul in the work of the gospel. We can also surmise that Luke was probably not a Jew, He's probably a Gentile, and it, it seems uh, he wrote this gospel account in probably the early to mid-60s AD, so kind of right around when Philippians was written that we studied last. And as we read the beginning of his gospel, one thing becomes clear about this man. Luke didn't know Jesus, not in person. He was not a direct witness to the ministry of Christ, unlike some of the other gospel writers. So though Jesus is going to be all Luke talks about in this book, he's going to be writing about events he wasn't present to witness. So church, in this respect, Luke is much like you and me. He's writing and then we're reading about events we haven't seen with our own two eyes. We haven't experienced and yet, that doesn't stop him from assigning to his words profound truthfulness and trustworthiness. Luke is, by all accounts, a careful writer. He is self-consciously committed to transmitting these stories to Theophilus and to us truly and reliably. And that's the second point to see this morning. So, Luke is the author. What's the character of this gospel of Luke? Look in verse 1. Luke addresses this man called Theophilus, and he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Luke is saying, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who's writing about this stuff. He says there have been others, many others, who have compiled what Jesus did during his earthly ministry. So, for example, it's, it's widely accepted that one of the primary sources Luke uses for his gospel here is the gospel of Mark, the gospel the ladies' Bible study is studying this school year. Luke is not writing the first gospel history. He's building on the work of others. And he says there in verse 2 that the way these other compilers have received their information is what? By eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. This is really important, church. 
the testimony handed down about Jesus, how he taught, how he suffered, how he died, how he was risen again, has been handed down by those who actually saw it happen in the first place. This would have included the disciples, probably others. So as Luke writes this narrative about Jesus, he's writing it, get this, he's writing this out, knowing that there's still people alive who actually saw what he's writing in real life. So you can imagine the weight on his shoulders. He's got to make sure this is accurate. This is reliable. It's able to be corroborated by others. He takes his work very seriously, and he's incredibly self-aware in having this commitment to teaching Theophilus what actually happened, what is real, what is true. He doesn't want to exaggerate. He doesn't want to take liberties with the facts. Luke's gospel is a careful, faithful history of Jesus, the man. It doesn't mean Luke didn't have other motivations in his writing. He definitely has a theological motivation. He wants you to believe. He wants Theophilus, as we see, to be certain about Jesus, to be persuaded by the gospel, this good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. But... We must also recognize that Luke introduces his gospel here in really good Greek as a reliable history. He trusts eyewitness testimony, and this is a part, part of what convinces him to follow Jesus. So J.C. Ryle, a, a bishop in Liverpool in the 1800s, writes about this passage, and he says, Christianity is a religion built upon facts. It came before mankind at first in the shape of facts. So Luke here is not saying, yo, Theophilus, you know that legend about the Messiah? Yeah, well, I've, I've talked to a bunch of people in on that craze, and here's my take on it. He's not saying, Theo, you and I both know that much of this didn't happen and large chunks have been thoroughly debunked on the media, but just for kicks, here's some good reading for the beach this summer. Luke is so serious about his task. He's saying that everything he's going to write down for the next 1,147 verses is truth. So friend, whether... Whether or not you think the gospel about Jesus is true, that he died for sins and rose again, that he's the son of God, I hope you must at least recognize that Luke really believes it's true. He's not trying to fool you. He's not trying to prop up some crazy propaganda. That's not his intention. Luke believes he is transmitting truth. And so this is a great opportunity to, to let you know, if you, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, that as Christians, we believe the Bible because it's reliable and trustworthy. None of us have ever lived with Jesus in the flesh. But we believe in Jesus in large part because of what is written right here in this book. We believe God reveals to us things that happened and why they happened and when they happened. And think about it. I mean, we all believe things we have never seen, right? 
We have certainty regarding those things because of what? Because of witnesses, because of facts communicated to us. If we didn't, if we didn't believe that, we, we wouldn't function in life. So Greg Gilbert is a, a Yale graduate and a pastor in Kentucky, and he has written a book called Why Trust the Bible. And he says, I wasn't present when the Constitution of the United States was ratified. But as an American, I live with the confidence that it, in fact, was. And I act on that confidence. He goes on to use the illustration of being born. He has no recollection of that. He only has a slip of paper, no DNA test. How does he know his parents are really his parents? It just makes the most sense. He's been told it. He has witnesses. He has paperwork. Friend, we live every day based on the witness of others to facts, to the truth. As Christians, we live that way too. We believe based on truth transmitted to us reliably. We don't follow the Bible merely because it makes us feel good. We don't follow the Bible because religion boosts our self-esteem. In fact, if we wanted a boost of self-esteem, we wouldn't read the Bible. It offends us. It says a lot of stuff that hurts our self-image. We believe the Bible because it teaches truth historical truth as well as theological truth. So in 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So friend, if you're here and you're skeptical about all of this, welcome to the club. We actually have thought about these things too. We actually don't want to be dupes for religious propaganda. We want to know the truth. And so while you might not be convinced by just a few summary words from me this morning, at least consider the possibility that you may not have all the data. Research this for yourself. Consider the, the abundant scholarly work written about the historical reliability of the Gospels, of the Bible. And dear church, brothers and sisters, ultimately, we believe the gospel of Luke is true because we believe the Bible is God's word. Remember what Daryl read for us earlier in 2 Timothy, where Paul says the scriptures are breathed out by God himself to give us knowledge of him. So again, in 2 Peter, we'll go back there. Peter says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is all about God and all from God. It comes from our creator as the revelation of who he is and who he has made us to be. And so the main actor in this story, the main actor in Luke, the main actor in all of God's word will be God himself. And we see a glimpse of this. There in verse 1. Do you see it? Luke speaks of the things that have been accomplished among us. There are these wonderful things that have been fulfilled in first century Palestine. Who has fulfilled them? Who has accomplished them? Luke is pointing to God himself. And as we study further into Luke's history... 
we will see this as one of the themes he echoes over and over and over again. This theme of God's overallness, his orchestration of history, his sovereignty over time and space and nations. Church, you can trust the Bible. You can trust it because it's historically reliable. You can trust it because it comes from God. The Bible makes the most sense of the world you see around you. And so allow Luke's prologue here to bolster your faith a bit this morning. The gospel is no myth. The gospel is not propaganda. The gospel is historical truth. And as such, it is worthy of our trust. And that brings us to our last point this morning, and that is the purpose of Luke's gospel. Look there in verse 3. Luke says he has sources, and that these sources come from eyewitness testimony. And then he says, having considered all of this, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke has been a diligent investigator into the things of Christ. He has followed them. He has studied them. And now he sees fit to write it all down in a careful, methodical way. Luke is saying, I'm a trustworthy source. The New Testament scholar Daryl Bach says we should not think of Luke as a student locked up in a library, especially since written material was so rare in the ancient world. Here was an inquiring student who took in whatever he could, oral or written. See, Luke is is very self-aware in his effort here to be a faithful historian as well as a faithful Christian. This is a trustworthy author. As far as the recipient of his gospel, we don't know exactly who this man Theophilus was. He's got a great name. Uh, We can guess he was a man of status, perhaps of wealth. Maybe that's why Luke calls him most excellent. Some speculate that, as was not uncommon in the times, uh, he might have sponsored Luke financially to write the gospel. We're not sure if he was a Christian. It seems like Luke is writing to persuade him. Maybe he is a Christian, but he's kind of taken aback by kind of what has happened in the early church, and he's wondering if he really has the truth. Maybe he's an unbeliever with questions. Maybe he's like you. Regardless, however, Luke has a purpose for writing this all down for his friend Theophilus. We see that in verse 4. Luke is saying, I'm doing this all, Theophilus, By extension, he's doing this for you and me, friends. That you may have certainty concerning the things we have been taught. Luke is not skimming over his purpose. He's saying, no, I am doing this to build trust in your hearts in the person and work of Jesus Christ. How's he going to do this? Well, As we'll see in the weeks to come, he's going to begin at the very beginning with the births of John the Baptist 
and Jesus. At the end of chapter 3, he'll show the genealogy of Jesus, the man, the son of God. And then he'll start writing about the beginning of Jesus' ministry as he is baptized and tempted and rejected. And then over a huge middle section of his gospel, he'll show Jesus' teachings and miracles and parables as he says, all along, I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem where I will die. In chapters 22 and 23, Jesus gets to Jerusalem. We see him die. Followed in chapter 24 with his resurrection from the dead. All of this, Luke desires Theophilus to know with certainty. Luke is going to mention names and places and times, showing this isn't some sort of fantasy he's written up, but some historical detail that he is transmitting. If you're here and you're not a Christian, Luke desires this for you as well. He's saying, I have carefully investigated the facts. I consider the Christ. Will you do so too? Will you carefully investigate the facts Luke has transmitted? Will you consider the Christ he holds up for you? Will you read over this gospel and ask if it doesn't make sense of the world you see around you? Not just the external observable universe, but your own hopes and dreams and fears. This gospel, indeed the entire story of the Bible, declares we are made in the image of God for his glory. That explains why we count each other so beautiful and attractive. That's why the world looks, even in its dirtiness and and corruption, so beautiful to us. That's why there's this innate sense of right and wrong in our hearts. That's why we crave justice and we hate oppression. God has made us this way in his image. As we consider Luke, we'll see again and again that we have rebelled against God's design. And that's why Jesus came. So rather than us undergo the judgment of God for our rebellion, Jesus came to bear our judgment for us. And so we see again and again through this gospel that both the beauty and the corruption of the world make total sense when taken through this lens. This gospel is no myth. This gospel is the solution to our sin problem. It's a solution to the corruption we see in this world. So as we consider Luke's words together, you will be called to either believe them or reject them. To either fend for yourself and make sense of this crazy world on your own or submit to the one who has come to die for this crazy world. The call of the gospel of Luke, friend, will be for you to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. If you do so, you will be saved. If you have questions about that, I recommend reading Luke. You might have heard a lot of things about the gospel. Perhaps consider one for yourself. One of us would be happy to read it with you. If you prefer to do it on your own and you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out in the Connect table. You can feel free to take a couple. If you have questions, broader questions, about just the truthfulness and reliability of the Bible, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to hear your thoughts and share with you how you can believe in facts, science, common sense, and the God of the Bible.
And dear church, as we enter this book together, let's be praying for what Luke's purpose is for us. That we'd have an increase in faith. That we would believe. That we would trust. Luke will dive deep into the questions of who is Jesus? What he has come to do? What that all means for us? So will you dive deep with Luke and your church family and consider how this gospel might challenge you and strengthen you? I'd really commend you know, taking whatever the sermon text will be for the next week and studying it throughout the week. Shoot, shoot me emails or texts with questions. I don't know what this means. That helps me. Let's make this a group project as we dig in to try to find even greater certainty in what has been given us. As I read over this gospel this past week, I was trying to see all the different themes that it seems like Luke kind of interweaves, and I saw themes of fear, good news, the Holy Spirit, true greatness, wealth, good works, authority, judgment, Satan, prayer, discipleship, repentance. These topics are going to come up again and again. They're interwoven throughout Luke's orderly account. So will you pray with me that the truth of the gospel of Jesus would shine through these themes into our hearts that our faith would be re-energized over the coming months. I mean, if you are feeling just kind of blah in your faith, if kind of like the, the exhortations you receive in church and from your fellow members to be in God's word and sharing the gospel, even when it's risky in your workplace, all those things just seem kind of blah to you because this book seems blah to you. What better book to consider than one that has its very purpose that you may have certainty? a certainty that will inevitably lead to action. Because church, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if the word of God called the Bible is not true, but instead occupies the genres of myth, fable, or legend, we shouldn't waste another Sunday morning here. We'd save a lot of money and time if we spent our Sundays elsewhere. But if this is true, if what Luke has carefully investigated and compiled from eyewitness sources who walked with Jesus, while other people who could corroborate or not corroborate his story were alive at the time, if it's true that the Spirit of God has inspired these very words, then we must make every effort to live our lives according to them, dig deep into them, heed them. And so by God's grace, we will. For this is our foundation, church family. The elders and I have been spending a lot of time recently thinking about this church. I mean, we do usually, but I think even more over the past month or so. Especially with the third anniversary, where has God brought us, where he's taking us, the vision meeting coming up. But as I think through all those things, I just want to tell you that one thing is wonderfully comforting to my soul as your pastor. And that is that no matter what trajectory our local congregation takes, we will never doubt where our foundation lies. I never doubt that by God's grace, we will always be a church who takes God's word seriously for what it says. 
I never doubt that by God's grace, we will always be a church that prizes the study and hearing of the words of life. It gives me comfort. I hope it does you too. But for me, it just reminds me that while we might think about different things to do, how to kind of bring our church into greater obedience to the gospel, it's not on me to come up with some new truth for us. Our foundation will never change. And so as long as the Lord sees fit to have us exist here in Loudoun County as a local church, we will fix our hope entirely on the truth of the gospel, on the immovable foundation of God's word as his revelation to us about who he is, what he's like, and what he's done to save us. This is not merely our truth. This is the truth. We will base our hope on it. We will live our lives on it. This is our firm foundation. So dear Christian, whether you're suffering this morning, whether you're excited, discouraged, or lethargic in your faith, consider again the gospel. Feed on its truth this week. May our time together in Luke's orderly account stimulate our faith, provoke our consciences, change our lives for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you haven't left us floundering about in some sort of vague understanding of who you are, but you have revealed yourself through your word. Thank you for this really short prologue of the longest gospel. Thank you for this reminder that we don't follow mere myth, but substantiated truth, eyewitness testimony. Lord, we ask that you would instill in us greater faith and greater joy as we follow you. We confess that we doubt this. We confess that just because we're in this church doesn't mean we always believe 100% that this is true. Our minds are finite and sinful. But thank you, Lord, for not just engaging our hearts, but our minds and our brains. And giving us confidence that what we're about to study over the next 1,200 verses is truth. Lord, this is our foundation. Not in our own ideas, but in who you are. So even in trial. Help us to find our firm foundation in you. Amen.